Hello, Tom Myers here. If you're like me and you've got a lot to say, a lot of stories to share, a lot of opinions to give, then listen up. I'm going to talk about something that's going to take your passion for podcasts to the next level. I'm talking about the 7 Million Bikes podcast course. This is the podcasting course you need. Imagine having the skills, the knowledge, and the confidence to create, produce, and grow a successful podcast. And you're not doing it alone. I'm talking about Neil Mackay, the podcast guy, founder of 7 Million Bikes Podcasts. He knows what it takes to turn your passion into a podcast that stands out. He's going to guide you through everything from podcast ideas that resonate to nailing that audio production and even editing your episodes like a pro. With 23 tutorials and over three hours of video content, this course is packed with practical tips, real-world examples, and everything you need to know to get started. Just $97 for a wealth of knowledge that'll set you up for podcasting success it's a no-brainer think about it less than a hundred bucks to unleash your creativity share your story and potentially even turn your passion into a profitable business people like ian payton who's taken the course launched their own podcast and already in the top 10 percent of podcasts worldwide and you could be next the seven million bikes podcast course is your ticket to podcasting greatness. Go to the link in my show notes right now and let's make your podcasting dream a reality. Hi, I'm A.A. Ron, the owner and producer of Oddly Funny Productions. That's A-W-D-L-Y Funny Productions. Bombing Run, the original comedy combat game show. It's an hour's worth of comedians clashing with their jokes. And soon to be released, Orbs Wacky World, a talk show with a twist. It will be a mix of comedy, unusual questions and music with orb as the host oddly funny productions we might be odd but we bring the funny to you that's a-w-d-l-y funny productions hey everyone it's me again if you're tired of listening to this show with all these ads in the way go ahead and subscribe to my patreon in addition to listening to this show without the ads you also get extended versions of these episodes and bonus clips as well doesn't cost that much you can get plans for as low as one dollar a month you can show the love and your support just go to patreon.com slash tom myers spelled m-y-e-r-s and subscribe and listen and enjoy today again that's patreon.com slash Tom Myers. Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Tom Myers versus the rest of the world. Now, just a few hours before we started recording, a civil jury in New York City found Donald Trump guilty of the sexual abuse of the writer E. Jean Carroll, who will be awarded a total of $5 million. This is the first time that a former president of the United States has been found liable of a crime by ordinary American citizens, not on Reddit or the dark web. <laughs> Congressman Matt Gates says he plans to file charges against a woman who threw his drink at him. That's an interesting turn of events. Matt Gates, a woman and alcohol, and Matt Gates is not the one under investigation. <laughs> Matt Gates was admittedly taken aback because for once he wasn't the predator with the drink. I, for one, don't find the story believable. How is he around a woman old enough to drink? <laughs> 
Maryland Senator Ben Cardin has announced he's not running for re-election next year. I personally thought about running for the seat, but then there would be a trade-off. On the one hand, I will no longer have the same occupation as Tim Dillon. But on the other hand, one of my new co-workers would be Ted Cruz. (laughs) I'm still weighing the pros and cons. Stephen Miller is suing the company that makes M&M's. Unfortunately, he will lose his claim because the candy was designed long before Stephen Miller's light bulb of a head was formed. (laughs) Being a former Trump White House staffer, we all know Stephen Miller is the type of person who separates his candy by color while listening to 1930s German military marches. A Texas man who shot five of his neighbors because they complained about him firing off his AR-15 was captured in San Jacinto County after a four-day manhunt. Imagine being such a violent psychopath that even other Texans are relieved to hear that you're brought to justice. (laughs) Bill Maher took Dr. Phil to task on his podcast because Dr. Phil would not say that Trump was a worse president than Biden. That says something that Dr. Phil is a lot like Dr. Oz in that they were both heavily promoted by Oprah Winfrey. Now, Dr. Phil is one step away from running as Republican for the U.S. Senate under the platform of being an even bigger dickhead than Josh Hawley. (laughs) I'm surprised people are still searching for Dr. Phil without checking to see if their internet connection works or seeing if he's dead. (laughs) An Illinois dust storm that caused a pileup of more than 70 cars along Interstate 55 was caused by a strong wind picking up loose dirt that had been loosened by farmers for planting. I bet with the PTSD of those drivers, the next time they see a bumper sticker that reads, no farmers, no food, they're going to run that car off the road. Jerry Springer has died. Given how his TV show permanently altered the TV landscape in the 1990s, I hope he hears chants of Jerry, 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 as he walks up to those gates in the afterlife, just Mm. before he gets dragged to his permanent quarters in hell. John Rowland, the New York newscaster who coined the phrase, it's 10 p.m., do you know where your children are, has died. That phrase has inspired millions of Americans over the years. Even me. I know where all my relatives are. In a locked, furnished room in my basement with plenty of food and water. (laughs) I know. I just checked. And now, on with the show. Please join me in welcoming Jeff Heisen, Michelle Wojcikowski, Gina Brown and Ward Morrow. Everyone, everyone, welcome back. Uh, Michelle, I believe congratulations are in order on your end. Oh, I guess I should say why. (laughs) I thought it was just because I'm awesome. Ward, how have you been lately? Uh (laughs) (laughs) I have no shame uh, with self promotion. (laughs) I, I found out, well, I found out over a week ago, I was able to announce. I am the 2023 award winner of the Arlene Eisenberg Memorial Award. It's one of the top awards given out every year by the American Society of Journalists and Authors for articles that made a difference. And it was on a an article I wrote about physical therapy in indigenous communities, um, Native American and Alaska Natives um, for the American Physical Therapy Association's magazine. And that's a lot to basically say that um because of the article i wrote they one place was able to use it and uh get a grant 
for their facility that helps um, provide healthcare and physical therapy to um, they told me to use the term American Indian. Um, a lot of people use Native American, um, but it 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 helped in a lot of ways. And they're trying to basically get a lot of people of color to start providing this care because uh, Native Americans don't trust white people as much. I can't imagine why they only stole the whole country and gave them, you know, um, blankets filled with um, smallpox, but. I don't trust way. white people either, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> who, who trusts white people? Let me know. <laughs> I know. Oh, so thank you. Yay, good for you, Michelle. So proud to know you. Progressives are mad at California Senator Dianne Feinstein because her medical leave means her committee, the Judiciary Committee, can't subpoena the Supreme Court justices to testify before the committee because of their recently revealed scandals. I take the opinion, though, that it's easy to criticize Feinstein because, to be fair, she has forgotten that she's a United States senator. Mm. <laughs> oh, Tom. I have, like, you know, two Rogan bros who listen to me on Spotify. So it's like, I have to give them something, you know. <laughs> I got to throw a little red meat out there. But, I mean, this is something that's, that's pretty serious because... I mean, in addition to the stuff about Clarence Thomas that's come out as of late, there's been stuff about Samuel Alito and then uh, even the chief justice himself with his wife accepting you know, money from all these law firms. And I mean, we've always thought of the, the Supreme Court as just as, as a separate, I mean, as a, as a separate entity. And maybe they've taken they've taken advantage of that. The, the fact is that federal employees in the executive branch have a $20 cap on what they can take from a prohibited source, someone who has interests before their agency. Supreme Court justices don't have that. So a average Fed has can't take anything more than $20, but there is wiggle room that allow that allows uh, the that Chief Justice Roberts' wife to take money from a company, from a firm that that was involved in cases before him, and think of all the money that Thomas took from somebody who was affected by the performance of his duties. So this double standards there are shocking. And Roberts always says, well, we have our Supreme Court in order. We can handle it ourselves. No, you can't. No, you can't. You're not. You're trying to, you think it's going to go away because you wish and hope it would. And it's not. And it's only going to get worse unless the Democrats put up a, and, and I want your opinion on this, everybody, especially Ward, uh, a Supreme Court ethics rules, set of rules, must have that in place. Yeah, I, I, I think that makes sense because Congress can impeach a Supreme Court justice. They, they never, well, the, the House did kind of indict one, but the Senate never removed them. Um, very similar to how the impeachment for a president goes. Although, oddly, the Constitution talks about that the justices shall hold their offices during good behavior. I'm not sure how one defines good behavior, 
sounds like something that happens in elementary school. You know, and they also had good behavior, no demerits. Um, but it, it, in practice, it's more along the lines of like presidents, you know, felonies, you know, high misdemeanors, and you know, really corrupt kind of stuff. If we don't do something, or if we can't do something, we know about it and going forward, we're still going to be subjected to, you know, all the things that he has opinions on. Let, let's be clear about what doing something means in this case currently. It means that Kevin McCarthy and the leadership of the House has to agree to impeach each or every one of these people after a hearing. Right. Pretty much be sure that's not going to happen. He's certainly not going to get the crazies on the extreme right on board to do this. Um, so I, I don't see how you get anything out of the House. But even if you somehow did, even if there were enough sane Republicans who would say, look, this is really bad. And, you know, the Supreme Court's really important. So you got to do something here. It goes to the Senate and you've got to get two thirds to remove them. We haven't gotten two thirds in the Senate to do basically anything. So, you know, the likelihood that anything's going to happen with this in the next two years is slim and none. You're, you're going to have to elect all Democrats to the Senate and all Democrats to the House practically to get anywhere. And, and the kicker about all this that I was talking with my husband about is that if this were um, a Democratic Supreme Court justice, the Democrats would go batshit and try and get it righted. You know, I think whether it, it to me, it's immaterial whether the person is a Republican or a Democrat, it, it's wrong. It's so obviously wrong. Well, and no, you're, I, right, you're right there, Michelle. Look at the difference, excuse me, between how Democrats acted, overreacted, many would say, with Al Franken. I, that's yeah. exactly what exactly. we were talking about. They were like, no, you did this, you're gone. Right. Before, you know. Decades ago, and the way Republicans act toward Santos. Chief Justices of the Supreme Court of the United States have always made their own place in history. From John Jay, the first person to hold the office, to William Howard Taft, the first former president of the United States to hold the position, to Earl Warren, the figurehead of the investigative committee that looked into the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. The current Chief Justice John Roberts has made his own historical footprint as he is the first Chief Justice to become publicly neutered by his own associates as we can see in this clip. There is uh, one thing though that looking back uh, on the year and how it's been addressed in a number of uh, uh, places that does uh, cause me a little bit of concern. Um, you know, uh, the, the court has always decided controversial cases. Uh, the decisions have always been subject to uh, intense criticism um, and that is uh, entirely appropriate. Um, uh, that citizens feel free to criticize uh, our opinions and how we do our work. Uh, but lately, the criticism is phrased in terms of, you know, because of these opinions, it calls into question the legitimacy of the court. Um, and I think it's a mistake to view uh, uh, those criticisms in that light. Um, the legitimacy of the court uh, uh, rests uh, on the fact that it satisfies the requirements of the of the statute uh, and that uh, the Constitution needs, as John Marshall put it, somebody to say what the law is, and that's the role of the Supreme Court. And that role doesn't change simply because people disagree with this opinion or that opinion or disagree with the particular mode of jurisprudence. Um, so obviously people can say what they want, uh, but 
Uh, and they're certainly free to criticize the Supreme Court. And if they want to say that its legitimacy is in question, they're free to do so. But I don't understand the connection between opinions that people disagree with and the legitimacy of the court. Uh, if the court doesn't uh, uh, retain its legitimate function of interpreting the Constitution, um, I'm not sure who would uh, take up that uh, mantle. You don't want the political branches telling you what the law is, uh, uh, and you don't want public opinion to be the guide uh, of what the appropriate decision is. So um, yes, the, uh, all of our opinions are open to criticism. In fact, our members do a great job of criticizing <laughs> some opinions uh, from time, time to time. Um, but uh, simply because people disagree with an opinion is not a basis for questioning the legitimacy of the court. I can say whatever I want. Okay, uh, here we go. What he fails to grasp there is when you see opinions, such as in the recent decision overturning Roe v. Wade, where the law is not based on fact uh, and not and and ignores precedent, and then goes back to religious tenets to help form that opinion. That, so it's, it wasn't based on the Constitution. It was based on works of fiction. Now, I, I, I always get confused. Um, not really confused, but it is based on an interpretation of the Constitution. And that is what he said. And everything, if everything is subject to interpretation, where are the rules of law that you're actually following or committed to follow? Well, they're, they're held in the Constitution and then in the statutes passed by Congress and then the case law, including, you know, theoretically stuff handed down from England that, you know, morphed their way into our case law. But all of those cases, all the case law can be kind of ground up in a grinder, you know, how they make the sausage kind of thing. And it just depends on how people look at it. If you're trying to look at the Second Amendment through the eyes of the founding fathers who all had flint rifles that could fire like one not even bullet, you know, every 10 minutes and reload versus an AK-47, it's a whole different world. So you've got to interpret what is said, but also interpret it in light of, of where we are. And I really do think the, you know, the change to Roe v. Wade hit the country like a sledgehammer. I mean, the fact that the court moves slightly one way or slightly the other way, particularly on issues related to, you know, criminal justice procedure or something that's very arcane, maybe um, people can live with that. But this is really taking away a right that people have and have become used to and felt was established was not just a precedent, but they even called the hearings a super precedent. And this is something that we just absolutely just accept. Um, and the feeling is it, it's not because these judges interpreted it differently. It's that the court was packed with extreme right wing individuals, not because they were brilliant legal scholars. They may or may not be. But the feeling was they got packed on there because of their political beliefs. And historically, that's not the, been, been the position of the court. A, a lot of very conservative Republicans who got on the Supreme Court became much considered to be very liberal um, and, and vice versa, um, because it was just how they looked at the law. But a bigger problem with the Supreme Court also is almost all of them, regardless of what they look like, um, all went to Ivy League schools. And therefore lived a certain kind of lifestyle, worked in certain kind of law firms, made a certain kind of amount of money, walked in a certain place in life. It's very different than the place most Americans live and where most Americans go to school or even most lawyers, uh, you know, don't all go to Harvard and Yale and, and live in that rarefied air. So the, the decisions be, become 
more concerning to people that maybe they don't reflect the laws and the constitution as the rest of America views it. And that's a real problem. Well, one thing there though, is that, uh, that chief justice Roberts was saying that, that don't, uh, don't hate the players <laughs> hate the game or something like that. Because he said, just because you don't like the opinion doesn't mean that the courts are legitimate. But when the court's changing its mind based on the composition and ignoring what Ward was talking about, case law and precedent, then I think there's a problem. And the players are basically changing the rules of the game themselves as they're going along, I think, is what we've seen in the last in the last five or ten years. Yeah, that's why it's politicized. It's not even he his on its face his argument makes sense everybody's going to have opinions of the opinion right but and if it's based in law then whatever i'm sorry i broke the law and i had to go to jail well you broke the law so you you do have to go to jail you may not like that i decided that for you but i think we can all agree you broke the law the challenge is that they're making decisions that are politicized unfortunately it it's this interpretation if you will that leads us down one way or the other and that's to me that could never be based on law that's based on eh, how i feel about it and they're political appointees right. not to mention they're like they're like they've they've been they've been appointed by presidents confirmed by senators and as of late by pretty narrow partisan margins it was recently discovered that Justice Clarence Thomas had been given a gift of $1,200 in tires and failed to disclose them. Oh, in the days when the one thing that he would be flaunting around that was made of rubber was a condom. <laughs> in this clip, <laughs> in this clip, Clarence Thomas gives his reaction to the leaked draft of the Dobbs decision, which overturned Roe versus Wade. Well, I've, uh, first of all, it's, um, a real honor to be here. This is, it's hard to believe that 40, more than 40 years have passed since um, I um, was at the Fairmont Conference, which was, I was just <clears throat> no more enthusiastic about that than I am about this one. Um, and I think it started off with, um, I thought, a very electric speech by Glenn Lowry, and it has continued with the thoughtfulness, and that's really all we ever wanted, um, not to replace one orthodoxy with another orthodoxy. We had enough of that. But rather to assume that people are able to think for themselves, to have different ideas because they're unique, uh, to exchange different perspectives and perhaps have others uh, either agree with them or sharpen their disagreements, uh, but to have a civil discussion. That was all. That's why it was called uh, New Alternatives. Uh, it was an alternative to, uh, it's the kind of alternatives you would want in a, uh, a, what we thought, at least in a civil society. And um, it certainly was, uh, did not, was not treated that way. And that sort of, we were treated very shabbily after that. And the, the whole idea to your point about um, institutions, I think we are in danger of destroying the institutions that are 
required for a free society. Uh, you can't have a, a, a civil society, a free society, without a stable legal system. Uh, you can't have one without stability in things like property or um, interpretation and impartial judiciary. Uh, and I've been at, in this business long enough to know just how fragile it is. I like that his definition of excited is probably similar to his definition of ethical. No more enthusiastic to be here than he was 40 years ago. What a way with words. He's no <laughs> less enthusiastic. He even no said, he said <laughs> nothing in one big circle of nothingness. <laughs> I don't, I forgot what the question was. Was there a question? Because he was like, and eh, free. <laughs> they were clearing the tables while the Supreme Court justice spoke. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh goodness. I, I was trying to, to get where he was going with alternative interpretations of things and i was like is that sort of like the alternative facts that you know the trump administration has we, we now have cases with alternative facts and alternative interpretation and alternate universes i mean why not right but he said something about a free society and how we really couldn't have one you know and i was like you're part of the reason why society is getting less and less free so and you want people to be able to make their choices you're taking choice away i'm so confused despite the recent revelations of the purchase of a government employee who makes a quarter of a million dollars a year the trammell crow family is remembered fondly by his son and clarence thomas sponsor harlan crow in this retrospective my dad came from a very humble background, born in East Dallas in a family of eight kids and father that had work sometimes, didn't have work much of the time. Even though he wanted to become well-educated, he couldn't afford to. And because his family was very religious in a conventional Christian environment, the church offered to pay for him to be educated under the condition that he become a minister, which would have been a completely different life. I think dad did feel because he couldn't afford the level of education that a lot of his friends and his wife did, he overcompensated by lifelong study. I would idealize my parents' relationship. I would say it was damn close to perfect. The kind of couple that when they were apart, which they often were, they would miss each other a lot. Write notes and leave notes on pillows and lots of holding hands. You need a balance between hope and realism. It's got to be a synthesis of all that. And I think they were. Part of the whole goal was to succeed as a group of people working together. The idea of if you earn a dollar, you share that dollar. I and mean, it doesn't belong to me, it belongs to us. What he would have cared about much more than any building would have been the company that he built and the people in the company and the lives that were influenced by the activities of the company. That would have mattered to him a million times more than any building. I mean, he got the sharing the dollar part down, correct? Got, he, got... he almost sounds like a socialist. <laughs> like... My, my daddy told me to make friends with Supreme Court justices, even boring ones. <laughs> and don't hesitate to fund their nieces or their grandnieces' high school education at private schools. Why? I mean, the way he described his father, I mean, his father just as a, 
someone who is struggling financially in a large family would probably look at the type of person his son became as someone who is basically purchasing a top tier federal justice on top of which collecting, you know, Nazi and Hitler memorabilia as someone who is kind of a dick. Yeah. I think that it's the Hitler Nazi stuff because I mean, a part of me thinks is he is not doing a great thing, but the person who's in the wrong is Clarence Thomas, not Harlan Crow. I mean, like he's a horrible person for, you know, loving the Nazis and Hitler and all that or seemingly loving. I don't know why else you would collect that memorabilia but the person in the wrong is clarence thomas you know what i mean so maybe he's collecting it ironically maybe so (laughs) maybe so (laughs) i still come back to like we were talking about the other week you know reminds me of aladdin you know you've never had a friend like me this guy's got a lot of money and he likes to spend it on people that can give him favors i mean wow who wouldn't want a friend like him I just need to find someone like him who's willing to buy not judges, but left-leaning podcasts. I mean, that way I can afford to pay people, starting with myself. Would you take dirty money? Do you take dirty money? Is all money clean? <laughs> Even dirty money? <laughs> as as many comedy clubs as I've worked with over the years, yeah. that sure. money is dirty. Literally, figuratively, <laughs> metaphorically. Sure. Even Venmo, I still look at some of it and go, ick. In conclusion, we as Americans are a dichotomy. We love taking power for ourselves, yet when we are represented by people who have our own personal interests at heart, we are all too quick to turn a blind eye, even when certain rights for others are rolled back. Thanks to the Dobbs decision, a woman's right to choose whether to have an abortion is on the chopping block. That leads to the potential for more sinister Supreme Court rollbacks, such as the repeal of same-sex marriage, interracial marriage, and, more appallingly, child labor laws. This is the next logical step in the later days of the Roberts Court. The pre-20th century days of child workers will seem like happy times compared to what these new child laborers will face. If you are listening to this and you live in one of the deepening Republican states like the Dakotas, Iowa, Missouri, etc., and are disturbed by such a prospect, then you shouldn't worry, as this will be an improvement on the way you live now. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, that's our show. I want to thank Jeff Heisen, Michelle Wojcikowski, Gina Brown, and Ward Morrow. (laughs) This episode was written and hosted by Tom Myers with panelists Jeff Heisen. Michelle Wojcikowski, Gina Brown, and Ward Morrow. Theme music composed and arranged by Jeroen Vandenjurek. Executive producers, Tom Myers, Matt Connerton for IPM Nation, and Eddie Carson for Odyssey Radio. Please leave a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast's Patreon for extended episodes, bonus clips, and more. Thank you for listening, and please visit tommyers.us.
Hey everyone, thanks for listening. If you want to listen to more of this episode, go ahead and subscribe to my Patreon. There you can get extended versions of episodes like this one, as well as bonus clips. You can even listen to regular episodes without all these pesky little ads through which you have to fast forward. Doesn't really cost that much. Plans as low as $1 a month. Go to patreon.com slash Tom Myers, spelled M-Y-E-R-S. Show the love, subscribe, show your support today. That's patreon.com slash Tom Myers. Hi everyone. I'm Orb. I am not the official spokesperson for Ugly Funny Productions. That's A-W-D-L-Y Funny Productions. A-A-Ron is tied up right now. Shut up, I'll untie you in a minute. Here at Oddly, we're producing some great shows. Bombing Run, where comedians compete to see who's Joker Ace. And Orb's Wacky World, a talk show with a mix of comedy, uncomfortable questions, and music hosted by yours truly. When you think of comedy, think of Oddly Funny Productions. That's A-W-D-L-Y, funny productions. Now, how do I get out of here? Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now.